Welcome once again into the Radiopedia Reading Room, a podcast unconcerned with books or poetry, tea leaves or palmistry. It is but a humble radiology podcast. My name is Andrew Dixon and joining me at the up-down desk of life is my co-host, Frank Gaylord. Does anyone actually call it an up-down desk? Is it- well, this, this is interesting, actually. I looked it up and apparently that's a very Australian term. There's a company called Up-Down Desk. These are just the motorised desks that you can set at standing yeah, and yeah. sitting. Yeah, I hate that. I can't work standing up. I can't do it. I've tried and it's not so much that it's uncomfortable, but I'm pretty sure my brain works differently if I'm standing ah, up. That's so when I'm, when I'm looking at a study and I'm standing up, I genuinely feel like I'm not thinking in the same way as when I'm sitting down. So I'm a little bit hesitant to do it. Plus I'm lazy and I spill my coffee. <laughs> Do you ever feel like if there is somebody in the reporting room with you and they are using their standing up to report, do you feel a little bit inferior? Well, it's not so much inferior, but you are at sort of groin height, which is... Oh, gosh. It's it's not great. I do like a desk that I can adjust the height of because working at a desk that's a bit too low, you get all cramped or your wrist hurts or your shoulder. I'm getting to be an old man, you know, Dixon. You're you're a young, sprightly thing, but... My shoulder's going, my neck's sore. I, I can't do this much longer. I need one of those German reporting uh, chairs, like a gaming one. I thought you were going to say a masseuse. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, my dad, back when he was a, a researcher, he was involved in a study. He was a participant where you worked in your office and you worked some days where you were sitting down and some days where you had to stand up the whole day and they measured your metabolic rate. Oh, um, interesting. And overall, the study found that you use more energy. Your basal metabolic rate increases when you stand up. However, he was an outlier. He didn't have an increased metabolic rate. It was the same sitting or standing. And so he was like, well, I'm just going to sit from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should all work on those big bouncing balls instead. <laughs> all right. That would be I'm a great th- look. I'm thinking genetically I'm very similar to him. So I'm probably burning just as much <laughs> energy sitting here. So I'm not going to stand up either. Um, we probably should get on with today's episode, Frank. And as I promised, we're going to feature you this time. Oh, joy. Very exciting. Um, So this is actually a panel discussion that was hosted by the other Andrew, Andrew Murphy, not me, with yourself and Matt Skalski, who's an MSK radiologist and medical illustrator. Um, And this chat took place directly after a lecture from Matt entitled Medical Illustration, Even You Can Do It, and one from yourself, Frank, entitled A Talk on Giving Talks. Remember that one? Vaguely, vaguely. Well, if you don't remember it, I'm going to play a little clip from it now. This is you talking about some tips with regards to text on the slides. So here we go. Humans are terrible at multitasking. If you present a slide that has lots of text on it, that's different to what you're saying, then you're asking your audience to choose between paying attention to you or paying attention to the slide. And it either means that what you're saying isn't important or what's on the slide is important. You can't do both. Alternatively, as is usually the case, you present a slide that just has the same things that you're going to say in bullet point and then your entire talk is you reading out bullet points, maybe stringing them together in sentences or adding a little bit of extra detail I would ask you, why aren't you just giving me a PDF of your talk and I can read it on my own? They're called talks. They're not called reads. You should be there value adding as a speaker, 
not just reading out slides that you've prepared. A mental approach that I have when preparing slides is that every single word on the slide should earn its place there. And unless you can justify why a word is on that slide, then you shouldn't have it. And if that means that your slides have no words on them whatsoever, that's okay. People are there to hear you talk. They should be there to hear you talk. And you should be there giving the information orally. There you go. It's called a talk, not a read. It is indeed. I, I stand by that. I speak slower than I hear myself speak. <laughs> I think I sped you up slightly in that clip oh, too. Oh, jeez. But um, I should try and speed up. But then I stumble over my own words, so that's no good. No, I, I completely stand by that. And in fact, if anything, uh, as the years have gone past, I've become more irritated when I go and watch a talk where someone is just reading out the slides at me. Um, I'm not sure that's the point. And, and in fact, now that so many of the talks we are giving are either recorded or at least streamed, but often recorded, the, the need to constantly have a slide next to you is really not there anymore because there's no reason that you can't just be you on screen. And for those of you that have seen my talks over the past couple of years, I've been really gradually moving away from having slides for many parts of the talk with just me talking. Uh, that's, I think, the thing that makes a talk different to reading an article is that the speaker is talking to you and imparting something that you can't just get from reading it. And so uh, you don't see this very much yet. And maybe that's because to be able to do it, you need a reasonable camera and you need to be sort of set up and it's not just straight out of Teams or Zoom or whatever you're using. But what about you? I think I've seen you also moving away from slides uh, for some of your talks. I mainly teach with images, right? Scrollable cases, zooming in, annotating on on the fly. And I like to use a lot of imagery photography to kind of set the theme and to emphasize points, but very little text. In fact, I'm giving a, a lecture at Radiopedia 2023 entitled Teaching with Very Little Text. And one side benefit to teaching with very little text is that, well, two side benefits. One is that when you do put up a slide that has a little bit of text on it, it almost emphasizes that slide above the rest of it, and therefore you can really yeah, use right. it as a, as, a tech, as a tactic to, to drill something home. So I often do that, very, very little text, and then suddenly, boom, here's a key point with some text on it, and you'll see people get their phones out and take a, sh a screenshot of it, right? The other thing is that, and I think you mentioned this a little bit in your, in your lecture on timing of a talk, if you have a slide with text all over it uh, and you're trying to make up a little bit of time because you think, oh, I'm a little bit, I'm running a bit over here, you can't skip through a, a slide with heaps of text on it without it looking really, really awkward. Whereas if you have slides with very little text on it, I could spend 30 seconds on a slide or I could spend three minutes on it, depending on the day and how I'm feeling and how the timing's going. And nobody in the room has any idea that that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, that so it really, it adds flexibility. That's skipping slides or rushing through slides at the end of a talk is one of my pet hates. I've got a lot, so, you know, it's probably pet hate number 473. <laughs> maybe maybe um, we should keep track of your pet hates in this podcast. That's pet hate number one, but, and we'll see, we'll see where we're at by the end of the year. But you're watching someone who has spent the first 15 minutes just banging on about something pointless. Their talk is just getting good. And then someone tells them that they've almost run out of time 
they look surprised because they haven't bothered to find out how long they're meant to speak for. And then you watch them skip through all these slides that seem really interesting, maybe, who knows? It's like, oh, we don't need to see that. We don't need to see that. And then they jump to the conclusion and it's over. And I don't know how that person does that without just feeling a great deal of shame because you're just telegraphing so much about how little you regard the organisers and the audience that you haven't even bothered to take out some of the slides from this yeah. talk that you've clearly been giving over and over again. I'm a sceptic. Sometimes I think that they've never got to those slides in time and they're always just there to kind of make it look like, oh, look how much more I've got that I could teach you about oh, that I'm not be going to. that'd be genius. You put like <laughs> 20 slides at the end, including ones that have titles like the key point is and then lots yeah. of small text. Everything <laughs> you need to know. Oh, we missed, I uh, haven't got time for that one today, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, you mentioned conclusion there. The second clip and final clip I'm going to play from your lecture is the section on the conclusion. So I'll play that for you now. Probably the hardest part of a talk is the conclusion. And that's because writing a conclusion forces you to actually critically assess the rest of your talk and try and work out what it is that you're meant to have achieved. So writing your conclusion towards the start of the writing process is actually a really useful trick to make sure that you end up covering the important points. If something isn't worth covering in the conclusion, you have to ask yourself whether it really needs to be in the talk at all. So in conclusion, I very much would encourage you to spend some time thinking about and practicing how you prepare and give your talks. Take time to think about your audience and about the venue and about the context of your talk. Think about what the most important points that you want to get across are and make sure that your slides don't detract from those points. Avoid bad images, avoid poorly designed slides that reflect badly upon you and ensure that at every stage you're letting the audience know where you're at in the talk so that they can focus on what you're saying and most of all, practice and prepare your slides so that not only are they better talks for all of us that have to listen to them, but also so that you make a better impression and enjoy giving talks more. Thank you. Nice. Talking about conclusions and giving an awesome conclusion in the ah, process. I like it. Very meta. Very. I almost feel like the conclusion of a talk, you almost want it to be like the abstract for the presentation. So you can have a little listen to the conclusion and go, is it worth my time? watching this lecture like people often look at the learning objectives or something like that and it's like no nah, that's not really representative it's the conclusion has this person come to a conclusion have they got some great points listen to that and then go yeah yeah i want to go back and watch all of this lecture i, I think that's right and, and i think writing the conclusion early on while you're preparing a talk helps you frame it that way it's actually similar to when you're writing the conclusion of a long mr report or something if you get to the bottom and your conclusion you're not quite sure what to put in there. That's usually a really good indication that you haven't worked out what's going on. If you're restating just what you've said already or just waffling. Yeah, learning objectives, I mean, I know we all have to have them and, and keeping in the back of your mind what you're trying to achieve is worthwhile, but the conclusion is more representative of what you have actually been able to do. And sometimes I find that as you write the conclusion, it's like, well, 
oh, there's this thing that really needs to be in here for it to make sense. And then you go back and you introduce it into the, the talk. Yeah. It's like the rule of threes. Some people say you should be trying to teach somebody a fact three times in your talk. The first time you're going to mention it, then you're maybe going to bring it back a second way a little bit later in the talk. And then the conclusion really should be the third time you're mentioning all the key things that you want someone to remember. And sometimes I think people forget that and get to a conclusion and just go a very, very quick one sentence and they're off. No, it has to be, uh, you know, a good talk is one that's, it's a bit like a story or a novel or something. You, you need to have an arc that at the start, you kind of set up the problem, the thing you're trying to address or achieve. Then you you do the talk. And then at the end, it has to be a payoff where you kind of frame everything you've spoken about in a way that makes sense and that lets the audience look back at the talk with context. Well, we should um, we should get up off our seats and have a little stretch while everybody listens to this panel discussion. So I'll remind you, this was hosted by the other Andrew, Andrew Murphy. It's a, a panel discussion on getting creative. Matt Skalski, medical illustrator, and Frank Gaylard talking about how to give a talk. So we'll listen to that, and then Frank and I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. So we are joined now by the two speakers that you just watched then in the creative session. I have lots and lots of questions, so we'll get, we'll get started. Um, Matt, I wanted to start with you. Your talk on medical illustrations is really good. I actually learned a lot from you in the past awesome. on medical illustrations. People, they have to start from some point and I have had to learn the hard way. I'm sure you have too. What are the biggest errors you see beginners when they really want to dive headfirst into these things? I think probably one of the biggest errors people make is not just picking one software and mastering it because there's so many options out there and some are, you know, potentially better than others, but the one that's best is the one you're good at. So I think people just need to decide what they want to master and, and do that. And so in my presentation, I started in PowerPoint because I think that's something that's very accessible and, you know, definitely can produce high quality illustrations if you're good at it and you take the time to learn it. That would be my biggest tip to people is just, uh, get whatever app on your iPad or however you want to do it and just master that one thing. Yeah, I completely agree, Matt. I think the smorgasbord of available applications is actually a hindrance. Also because you kind of feel like you need to use a professional level app like Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever. And those are difficult to start using. You know, if you're only doing them for occasional illustrations, you're not going to get very good results out of them. I found that although I used to play around with medical illustration and you can find some of my attempts on Radiopedia, nothing like yours, Matt. I found lately I've been moving towards trying to go for more efficiency. And so I do a lot of my diagrams on Keynote and it's remarkable how powerful Keynote can be for a certain type of illustration. And I think, Matt, you use PowerPoint and Andrew, you've used uh, Keynote a lot for your learning pathways. And I think the results are, are, are great. And as you say, you know, mastering one then has uh, the effect that the results you get are good, but you also get faster. And the speed at which you have to be able to generate them is, is a real, at least for me, a, a real impediment towards illustration. Good point. I tend to follow the, the shiniest thing. So I will jump from app to app. And um, yeah, I definitely should have just stuck to one at the beginning. Frank, your your talk on how to prepare talks. I've actually 
gone to you for advice many times over the years because I've, I've enjoyed the format in which you give these presentations. One question I had was when you are preparing a talk and you've contacted the venue and they don't quite seem too confident that they're going to have the same application or support as the talk you're giving, what do you do to like overcome that? So like I'm thinking when you give a presentation and you look up at your slide and the text is just all over the place and it's all Isn't that a around. terrible feeling? Yeah, it's, it's awful. So one thing is you don't want to be the guy that insists that they have to use their own laptop because part of your responsibility as a speaker is to make sure the whole day works well. And that means fitting in with the organizers and fitting in with the time that's given to you uh, and fitting into the audience, etc. I don't insist on using my laptop. If it's easy to do so, if, for example, I'm the only speaker during a session and so there's setup time before and after, or if everyone's using their laptop, then that's definitely my preference because then I know exactly what's going on. If, as is often the case, though, you need to upload your talk to a Windows station, and I think this applies also to if you are using Windows because you can't always trust that the different versions of PowerPoint are up to date or, you know, the fonts have been installed, etc. is you want to make it as foolproof as possible. And the most foolproof way of doing that is taking your talk. And I don't do many animations in these kind of talks. I have very few, if any, animations and uh, few, if any, transitions is to export your whole presentation just as static images. And you can export, um, you know, if you have bullet points coming one after the other, you just export them as a series of repeated images where just one has the next bullet point. And you then just use those images as individual slides in PowerPoint and then use that on the day. And that is completely bulletproof because uh, it really doesn't matter whatsoever what version of PowerPoint or what fonts they have because everything's just baked in. The downside, obviously, is that you can't edit those uh, on the day, but you know you shouldn't be doing that anyway. On the point of making sure your diagrams work in the talks and stuff like that, Matt, a lot of your illustrations that you've uploaded to Radiopedia, they get used around the world. So, you know, the international conferences, I've seen them in RSNA papers, I've seen them in textbooks. Like how does that how does that feel to see your work just used just so widely for education? Yeah, it was initially very flattering. Um, you know, probably one of the reasons I had stuck with it is seeing it used around and knowing that, you know, people saw the value in, you know, me putting the time in. So and nowadays, it's kind of old hat at this point, you know, it doesn't excite me too much, but um, it's still definitely like <laughs> makes me motivated to know that like I'm contributing to other people's growth. And, you know, the pride, I think, has worn off, but definitely, you know, uh, more of a legacy type of uh, view on, on it at this point. And definitely, you know, people <laughs> email me. Know, pretty regularly asking permission to use my radio PD images. She's <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's kind of why they're there. So yeah, go for it. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that when they are on Radiopedia, people can use them as long as they, um, when you download it, you can attribute the author of the illustration. So that's what they're there for. Yeah. To, to be shared around. A lot of people can't you know, produce the work that you're producing. So it does make a big difference. Um, so you obviously both spend a lot of time on you know, your talks and your illustrations. And it's, it's often something that gets overlooked when people see finished products, their preparation timeline. So first, I want to ask you, Matt, then I'll go to Frank. What's it look like? I've contacted you. I've said, hey, Matt, I want you to do this diagram for me or illustration for me for X, Y, Z. What does the preparation 
and time that goes into that from inception of the idea to the finished product look like? Yeah, it's multifactorial. The things that kind of go into the time are what platform am I going to use to make it? So how many resources do I have, you know, pre-made that I can salvage? How many new things do I need to make? How accurate does it have to be? You know, do I need to pull references? Is there other things that I can reference that are, you know, pretty complete that I'm just recreating, you know, or am I trying to reinvent the wheel? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, it, it varies. So sometimes really complex diagrams I can do quickly if I have a lot of, you know, things already ready to go. And sometimes very simple things can be very onerous, you know, if I have to make something from scratch. So I tend to let people know about where I stand with it, you know, and if it's, even if it's a commission project, if I know it's only going to take me an hour, then I, I don't overbill for the time, previous time that I've spent. Uh, but the flip of that is that if it is something basic, but I haven't made the resources and I know I'm going to have to spend 10 hours and I'm still, you know, going to bill for that full 10 hours, but everyone in the future would then benefit from that. And then a lot of that stuff I just put online and I'll even give people a discount if I, I'll ask them, can I put this up on Radiopedia afterwards? Are you okay with that? You know, me publishing that, yeah. even though you're paying me for it. Um, and if they say, yeah, then I'll throw a, you know, throw them a discount. Most diagrams I spend somewhere nowadays, a bit faster, somewhere between three to 12 hours on. So Frank, uh, same with you. So, you know, you've agreed to speak at a conference. This is a topic that you haven't got any talk on. You've never done this talk before. So you're starting from scratch. What does that look like? And how much preparation goes into making sure that, you know, your talk is ready for the conference? Like for me, I practice until I, I hate the talk essentially, and maybe I should dial it back a bit. So I'm interested into how you do that. So the first thing I would do if I've agreed to speak at a conference is get annoyed at past me because... <laughs> You know, saying yes to speaking gigs is always easy because they're in the future and you always underestimate how long they will take you and then future you ends up paying the cost. Um, so assuming I've been foolish enough to say yes and it's a talk that I've never given before, that can, I mean, a 40-minute talk, say, takes, I don't even want to guess at how many hours because the first thing you need to define is what is the talk and you see a lot of talks given that, are being given for the benefit of the speaker. So mm. it's their pet topic and they're giving a, you know, they're referencing their own papers and they're showing tables and they're going into the minutiae that is potentially very interesting if you're that person or if you're one of six other people in the world that are that interested in, in that area. But the audience isn't interested. So the first thing I would do is spend a lot of time thinking about what the audience is and what can I do during that talk that is, is helpful. And you can't just sort of run in and start creating slides by doing the title slide and then moving forward. So I spend a fair bit of time locking out the, the kind of ideas that I want to explore during a talk and how they link to each other. And this is assuming that I don't need to do any reading on the topic, uh, which often I do even if it's a topic I'm relatively comfortable with before you start giving a talk, you really do need to iron out any questions that you might have yourself. And then the process is usually one of sketching out the order just in a, in a text file or in, in blank slides I use a lot so that I can reorganise it to determine what flow works the best. And once I've defined that, I start fleshing out the slides themselves. And during that entire process, the thing that's at the back of my mind is what's the thing that I'm going to be saying during the talk? Because my slides uh, have almost no writing on them. And I, I feel very strongly that if your audience is there to read your slides, then you're in the way of them just reading a good 
review article and you should just do that instead. The thing you should be trying to add is a personal perspective or something that you can do in the medium of a talk that you can't do in the medium of a review article or a handout. And, but that means that you need to be really thoughtful about the content of what you're going to be talking about during the slides and how the slides feed in to the flow from one idea to the next. And as I'm building the slides, at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I want to make this point here and this leads into this area and, and so forth. By the time I finished that process, I usually have already understood what I'm going to say. And then it's a question of rehearsing it one to 10 times, I guess, depending on how important the speaking engagement is uh, and how tight the time is. Because uh, you don't want to go over time. And the shorter the talk, the harder it is to actually be right on time because you've got less wiggle room during the talk to speed up or slow down. Um, so, you know, the, the most onerous talk that I would have to give would probably have a ratio of, I don't know, probably half an hour per minute of talk preparation. So yeah, that, 40 that minute seems, talk is probably 20 hours, I guess. That makes me and sure a lot of people feel a lot better about how much effort they put into talks because yeah, I think it's a, it's very misrepresented that, you know, people just walk on stage and uh, deliver it. Well, I, I think before. I'm not sure that's necessarily true because so many talks are goddamn awful. <laughs> well, and, yeah, you know, if, if the majority of the talks that you're watching people have spent 40 hours preparing them, then they should really have a very close look at some of their life decisions. I think, in fact, the biggest misconception is not that talks do take a lot of time. The biggest misconception is that talks shouldn't take a lot of time and people do just mm. bang something out and put all the text that they're going to say on the slide so that they don't need yeah. to remember it and they just go through the motions. And when I see a, a talk like that, then, you know, not only does it reflect badly on the speaker, but it reflects badly on the whole process because I wonder why, why am I here? I can read your slides myself or better yet, I can read a review article or a chapter in a textbook. I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you, Frank and Matt for joining us, especially Matt joining us from sunny California. Uh, now we have a encore presentation of Frank's talk on how to give talks, and then I'll see you at the end. Very passionate towards the end of that uh, that chat there, Gaylord. Still feel <laughs> the same way. If anything, more so. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm almost fifty now. I know um, I, I look. 60 but i've sat through a lot of lectures in in these years and just the number of times that i've sat through people who clearly haven't practiced um <laughs> just really annoys me especially when it's a big audience because if you think about the cumulative amount of time that's being wasted in an audience of 200 or whatever it is mm -hmm. uh, by the speaker they could all be outside in the park chasing squirrels or, or having a drink or something. <laughs> Who knows? Anything better than that. And so um, I know how long it takes me to prepare a, a good talk. Uh, and, and I wish more of the speakers that I've listened to 
uh, did the same, which is one of the things I really like about the pre-recorded model that we're using for Radiopedia because I think people do practice more and the quality is genuinely higher. And uh, it also gives us the opportunity to push back and ask for things to be redone. We don't have to do that very often at all, really, do we? Um, but we do have quite a little bit of input into the talks themselves before they get recorded for some speakers. And, and I think that collaborative method works. And I sometimes run my talks by people or the slides by you or we chat about how something fits together. And yeah, it's a privilege to have a large audience and uh, it's one that I think you need to take with a degree of responsibility if you're the speaker. Yeah, as you say, that being able to pre-record a talk, think about it, set yourself some space to actually record it, maybe edit it a little bit to get it looking its best, that really creates a product that uh, is quite unique, I think, amongst conferences and, and, and a reason to maintain the idea of a virtual conference. I think everything is going back to this hybrid model where it's in person, probably because, you know, look, it is fun to meet in person with people, um, but I think it's more driven by money, isn't it? Sponsorship dollars, yeah. taking people out for dinners, that kind of stuff. Um, whereas I think we're going to stay virtual, high-quality presentations, invited speakers, and hopefully people embrace that and appreciate it. We've got to thank Matt Skalski for, for being part of that panel discussion. His illustrations continue to be amazing. Even since he recorded that panel discussion, he's gone on to produce more and more amazing pieces of work. And Mandrew Murphy as well has really started to create some amazing learning pathways on the website and uh, illustrations for the website. So both of those guys continuing to show off their creative skills. Anything else to chat about today, Frank? Well, I was just thinking when I was uh, on my high horse there about the responsibility to an audience and making sure that you've prepared adequately. Uh, <laughs> do you think we've adequately prepared for this podcast? No. Well, I think I think if those people aren't willing to put in the time to their talks, then maybe they should start a podcast because apparently <laughs> that, that doesn't take any preparation. You just hit record. Do you think anybody listened to episode number one? I, I haven't heard any feedback yet. Is it out yet? Well, it's a bit of a mystery with all podcasts because you kind of create it and then you, you send it out and then the different things like Google and Apple Podcasts will approve it at varying times, uh, So, especially with your first episode. So once that's approved, then it starts to head out. So it's only just starting to be listened to now. So hopefully we'll get some feedback coming yes. through shortly. How and do people get in contact with this is your favorite part this is my of favorite the episode bit. rapidly becoming your favorite bit i'm going to do this every how week. do people get in contact with us well you can of course uh, contact us through twitter at radiopedia uh, and on instagram as well as uh, at frank gaylard on twitter and at dr andrew dixon you can email us at podcast at radiopedia.org with any idea or feedback you may have and if you want to help support Radiopedia, you can become a supporter. You can purchase an all-access pass to not only have access to all our courses and learning pathways, but also get registration to our yearly virtual conference. And Radiopedia 2023 is on its way. It is on its way. People have started registering, Frank. The, the website is up and running. The speaker list has been announced. You're doing a workshop. I'm doing a workshop, so there's plenty to check out. So head on over to the Radiopedia 2023 website to have a look at that. 
And what else can they do? Well, yes, <laughs> this is his other favourite bit. <laughs> and don't forget, you can also help us out by leaving a review in the podcast app of your choosing. What podcast app do you use? Uh, just the Apple, the Apple podcast. What do you uh, use? Overcast. It's much better. Oh. It's got um, pause elimination. So, um, oh, to truncate things. Yeah, so you can speed it up, which I always do a bit, especially I would speed myself up a lot if I was listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> we but, all um, would. But you can get rid of pauses <laughs> through it. It's a great app. Yeah, I've been yeah. using it for year, Overcast. And, uh, okay. I don't, I don't speed things up because I actually enjoy the length of things, right? I actually yeah, I don't it depends want, why you're listening to them. I don't necessarily want a podcast to end. I kind of want it to fill my journey that I'm on. You know, if I'm going for a drive or if I'm going for a walk, I don't necessarily want it to be faster. Uh, I speed it up not because I want it to be over faster, but if it's too slow, my mind wanders and I oh, lose okay. track of what I'm doing. There's a speed at which it becomes effortless to stay focused on the thing you're listening yeah. to, and it really depends on the content and the speaker. Mind wandering, that reminds me. My, <laughs> my, my brother-in-law recently, he was just staring off into the distance and we were like, what are you, what are you thinking about? And he's like, oh, nothing. And we're like, oh, you know, you must be thinking about something. You don't just think about nothing. It's obviously something boring you don't want to tell us about. And he's like, no, no, no. I, sometimes I can think about absolutely nothing. I've never had that. You've never had that? No. I've never had that either. And no one I've spoken to, I think he's achieved a level of nirvana that without even trying. <laughs> so is this going to be another part of the podcast that at the end, after we've said the last thing we just to talk say, about we our just relatives? Keep talking. This can be yeah. podcast, uh, what is it, the no. relative corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back again for another episode soon. I'm going to read that sign-off again. Remember the, my, my, our little sign-off oh, here? Was, here it that is. was the one about being okay. rad. No, no, no. Oh, I should. maybe we should do the rad one. Don't tempt me. I'll <laughs> keep it in there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Ready? I'm going to do it now. And we'll catch you all again sometime soon in the rad reading room. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>